Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors, a strategic communications company. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Karen Shostak. Karen is currently Deputy Director of Hamilton County Parks and Recreation. However, when she got to Chattanooga via Miami, she started in the hospitality industry and then spent 17 years with Friends of the Festival, the folks who bring us Riverbend each year. Karen, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before I ask how you go from financial services to the music industry to now parks and recreation, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Just a black cup of coffee this morning. <laughs> and what kind of coffee is that? Well, it just happens to be Costa coffee. <laughs> like how we do that. I thought that was pretty fancy. Yeah, not bad. Well, Karen, I've known you uh, a long time. A long time. long time. I did not realize that you moved to Chattanooga from Miami. So let's start at the beginning. Where did it all start? So I was actually born in Honduras. My dad was American from Boston. He was in the Peace Corps. And then my mom was a teacher during the day, and then she sang at night in night clubs. Not a club, a club. A club. A club. <laughs> um, and so when she was a teenager, she was in a competition. Do you remember Star Search? Yeah, Ed so, McMahon. Yeah, there was a competition like that in Central America where if she won like 16 weeks in a row when oh, she wow. was 13 or something, and then big prize was to get to go to some big theater in Mexico. And but her father was very conservative and wouldn't let her go out of that theater came people like Celia Cruz and Tito Fuentes. Yeah. Oh, wow. so, so weird how things happen. But, but anyway, so they were married and then here we come. And, and then uh, my dad had a very good friend, Brad Harper. Brad Harper was the founder of the Bombay furniture company oh. out of new Orleans. Yeah. And so at the time it was, pretty dangerous in Central America to be an American married to a Latin woman. And and so we came to the U.S., went to New Orleans first. And then Brad and my dad was the first engineer for the Bombay Company, and they traveled all over Pakistan and, and all of the Middle East to bring back in India, a lot of time in India, um, to bring back these designs. Bombay started as a brochure company, like yeah. a catalog company. I remember buying stuff yeah. from Bombay. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of it in my house, too. When we first got married, that was a lot of the furniture we had. Yeah. It was what they did was they made furniture that was ornate and beautiful that you found in the, you know, overseas in Indian Middle East, and they made it affordable. Right. Um, and so, and they were beautiful. Dad designed several. I probably uh, have one of his designs. Probably do. That's very cool. Isn't that cool? And so, that brought us to the U.S. to begin with, and so we went to New Orleans. Um, Bombay was founded on Magazine Street in a little yellow house, and then from there, we moved quite a bit because Dad Bombay was sold. Brad sold the company, and um, we lost him in his forties. He died oh. very young. Um, just an incredibly fascinating person, Brad Harper. Just you should look him up. Anyway, so we traveled. Dad stayed in the furniture business, Chrome Craft, and some other places as an engineer. We went to North Carolina, Boston, spent some time up there. And I lived in Tennessee before. We actually went from New Orleans to uh, Memphis and then to South Haven. Oh, a long time ago. But I tell you what, one of the coolest places I've ever lived. We lived in South Haven, lived in Memphis and and South Haven, you know, playing in the street with neighbors. And it was just a really great neighborhood. But our neighbors were the Cates family. Um, 
And Joe Cates at the time was the mayor of South Haven. I remember the name, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So that's the first time I ever saw like a full dead animal in their uh, Cates Meat Company. That is big butcher shop. Scared me for life. but Hanging from the hook. I mean, it was a whole thing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was just a really fun time. And I, I've stayed in touch with them 40 years. Um, well, Memphis was a good place to grow up. It gets a bum rap and it has its issues. But growing up, it was fabulous. I remember as a kid going to the Orpheum Theater to see Little Orphan Annie. And I got to tell you, I thought my brother was going to break my record because I sang it nonstop. <laughs> it's just the coolest. It was. It's a beautiful theater. So reminiscent of the Tivoli Theater here. I mean, that's where everybody got dressed up. And you made a whole day of that. It was really well, nice. Well, it's got a, the Tivoli and the Orpheum have a similar uh, look and yeah. life. Yeah. In that the Orpheum was in disrepair up until the 80s, oh, mid 80s. Really? And then they did a major renovation and it became a, a show palace, you know, where not only Broadway shows are coming, but a lot of events happen there. And you're right. People put on the tux and they get on the evening gown and they go to the Orpheum. Isn't it so nice? And that happens here at the Tivoli too, yeah. which is so, it's just so charming. And it's just a, I mean, it's beautiful. I really have a great memory of velvet dresses. That's what I remember. <laughs> velvet dresses when you got to go to that kind of thing. And so. So you moved then, around a bunch, almost like an army brat. Yeah, except that I was an engineer brat. Dad was, <laughs> yeah, he would show up and build a company and, you know, he, I lost my dad in 2015, but oh, buddy in his time, oh, it was, he did quite a bit. He did a lot of import export back in his day and then ended up, well, so we went to Miami. I was young. I went to elementary school, high school, did, got law school and then got married there. And then, then all of a sudden my husband says, Hey, I'm getting transferred. I said, I know how to do this. <laughs> I, know, I know how to move. Been there, done Yeah, that. exactly. And so when I found out it was Chattanooga, you know, I have friends in Miami that still don't like one of my Cuban friends, he says, yeah, Karen, she's in Charlotte. And I'm like, I'm not in Charlotte. I'm in Chattanooga. So, I mean, it's, I think it's a lot of people in South Florida think that all of Tennessee looks like the Ocoee, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, but it's, it, there's so much industry here, but I got really excited because we had our first and he was, Nathan was four years old. And I was so excited about raising kids because remember that time in South Haven where we're running in the streets and it's very safe. And I thought I wanted to recreate that. Not that I couldn't where I lived in Miami. Yeah. We lived in Miami Lakes, which Miami Lakes is like the Mayberry of Miami. It's very old and very nice and quiet. But here it's just different. It's it's the I, I moved from the south to the south, which is yeah. funny. But this is a, but diff it's a different world. It's a different world. Yeah. And so I was really excited. Both of us were, my husband, Robert, um, we were really excited about raising kids here. And here we sit 20 something years later. What year was it you moved here? We moved. So my husband came in 99 and I came right after um, early 2000. Oh, you got here the same time I did. I moved the, did end, you? Of, I moved the end of 99 from Memphis. Yeah. And then my wife and daughters followed in uh, May of 2000. Yeah. yeah. My husband left me and had to come up here and on Valentine's Day. On the day. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. So when we came up here, I'm telling you, I'm light years from what I did then. I, I worked in financial services um, as a recruiter and a headhunter in Miami. So was uh, that your first job? That was my first big girl job. And how did you get that? Was that just applying for a job and that's what was available? Or did you have this desire to be a recruiter in financial services? Uh, no. And so <laughs> funny story, a friend worked at this company. And so I went to go apply it. I said, I just want to be a part-time marketing assistant. 
I got hired as a part-time marketing assistant. Six months later, they said, you're a recruiting specialist. So I said, I'll, sure. What were you doing as a part-time marketing specialist that caught their attention that said, you know, we really need you doing this? So I did a lot of homework. So I, when I got there, I said, okay, this is going to be my first big girl job. I was watching folks, you know, pretty successful people, a financial services business in Miami, greater Miami. That's a pretty lucrative mm-hmm. business. We had some, a lot of money some, in Miami. We did. We had some millionaires in our office. And so not that I was interested in, I'm well, I'm always interested in being a millionaire, but I wasn't interested in being that money person as much as I was interested in the business aspect of it. Money wasn't driving you. It wasn't driving me. I liked seeing how how folks were interacting and also, believe it or not, really changing people's lives financially. And so I started to gravitate that to that. And then also, uh, then the recruiting specialist position became available. I started to love the principle of the job. It was Prudential Preferred Financial Services was the name of the company, right? And so I really started to like what they were doing, how they were changing lives, and, you know, it takes one or two of those stories from people saying, oh, I funded college or we're retiring and, you know, seeing people hug their financial services rep because now they can retire. It was just a cool story at the time. And I really I just enjoyed it. And so, like I said, I started to do homework and started to get licensed. And so um, and yeah, which is I don't know if anybody's listening has a series seven it ain't easy to get. Mm-mm. I mean, and so I had also at the time. My first mentor, which is was my boss's name, check this out, Jan Van Ersel. Okay, <laughs> coolest guy. He was Jan from Van Ersel. Jan Van Ersel. I've he got from one of the Scandinavian countries. He was from Barbados, actually. Yeah, he's the coolest guy in the world. And so, next thing you know, he starts to coach me. I I don't know what he saw in me. I thought he was just like a goofy professional. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make sense? And mm-hmm. somebody you wanted to hang out with, and he was just the coolest guy. And so, but he was smart. He was wicked smart. And so I really just, um, he coached me and next thing you know, I'm in this recruiting specialist job and I'll never forget being on my first business trip. And I was like 24 years old. And you know how after a day of meetings, you end up in the lobby and you're having a cocktail and you're telling jokes. I told a terribly dirty joke and, (laughs) and it was so funny because the entire table just dead silent for like five seconds and then a roar of laughter. And I was like, oh, thank God, I didn't <laughs> lose my job on my first business trip. And afterwards, my boss, Jan Van Ersel, said, you dumbass. He said, don't, why did you do that? Because it could have gone horribly south. But I thought, it just, you know, I went with it. Yeah. I just went with the moment. <laughs> and so, That's yeah. That's great. So, how important is it for someone? early in their career to find a mentor like that. It's so important. It was for me because what Jan Van Ersel did for me, and you got to say his like whole name. You can't just yeah. like say his You can't person. say Jan. You can't. It's it Jan Van Ersel. It doesn't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't do justice. But yeah, what Jan Van Ersel did with me, remember I was a recruiting specialist. Yeah. I'm selling a career in financial services, which a lot of folks were at the time, manufacturers, reps, and people like that, that I was trying to recruit. But it's not, you know, it's not something that people are lining up out of the door. You don't put an ad in the paper for this and you can't see the end of it. And so they took a sales job. So what he did for me was help me understand how to get a no. Explain that. Well, it's a real, I'm glad you're elaborating on that because if it wasn't for him and him helping me to compensate for getting no, told no, mm-hmm. then I would not be where I'm at. 
probably would have gone with some stale career that was safe and I knew what the outcome was going to be. You know, I probably would have never taken any risks Mm -hmm. um, because being able to understand that this one said no, but the next one might say yes. Understanding that it may take me talking to a hundred people to get my first yes and being okay with that. That's what Jan gave to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he probably, I think he knew that um, he was coaching, but he was our, I guess, executive director. He's the guy that gave me my first shot. Yeah. And that's important. It was great. Um, And so I'll tell you this real quick about leaving Miami. Before I left Miami, I was leaving Jan, right? And so we had had a layoff because our office was merged with the Coral Gables office. And so there was really two positions in leadership needed, which was his position and then a recruiting person. And then we were transferring. And so it was really hard because our recruiting efforts, we were like 80th in the country in recruiting. And when I left, we were at 18. And so I was really like, oh man, we're starting to see the success. We've got a bullet. When we go to Coral Gables, we'll just shoot through the roof and then I'm leaving. So it was really tough, but we go and meet with the guy who was going to be in recruiting, you know, with the Coral Gables office. And he, I hand him this giant book, you know, everything was in a book back then. And I said, here is this giant book of everything I can tell you to get, you're going to just have it all right. And he threw a uh, stack of sticky notes at me and said, just sticky note, everything that's important. (laughs) And I looked at Jan and he was like, Oh God, she's going to fly over the handlebars. And so I put a sticky note on the first page and I put a sticky note on the last page and I handed it back like to say everything, everything in between. between. <laughs> and so Jan kind of nervously laughed. Like, That's great, Karen. <laughs> and then as we're leaving, we get in the car, we're leaving this meeting and I'm leaving. Jan looks at me, he goes, I got to live with that guy. You know, I was like, sorry. What in your background gave you that confidence to do something, to say something like that, do something like that? Because you're in your early twenties and you're having some success, but there still is that bit of, well, I don't need to rock the boat. Yeah. Well, it's, it's first situational, you know, I'm leaving, you know, when well, you, that helps. Yeah, it helps. Uh, plus in Miami, very different than Hamilton County. There's 3 million people in Miami-Dade County. Your chances of running into people is not as significant as here. Like when we moved here, my mom said to me, do you better be nice to everybody? What she was saying was, you know, you're going to run into people. It's a small in town. It's a small town. But yeah, I think it's a situational, but also, you know, my dad, had a lot of influence on my life and his work ethic and what he did. And my mother, who was super social, was super social growing up. I think that combination gave me some confidence that, yeah, I felt like I could, you know, say something like that and be in that situation or honestly more stick up for myself. You know, I'm not picking a fight with anybody. I just, I just want to do a good job, but I do like to be recognized for doing a good job. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm human. I think in my entire career, I've always put a lot of heart and soul into whatever it is that I'm doing, and I lead with my heart. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's what's most important to well, me. Well, let's get you to Chattanooga. Okay. You, you, <laughs> your husband gets transferred. Your husband gets here. transferred. Do you stay home with the kids? Do you go out and find a job? What's your first job in Chattanooga? So, who, who do you meet? What? How did the door start opening for you? I met two people. Uh, so I came here, and the uh, first thought was, okay, I'll just be a stay-at-home mom, you know. And I met this guy named Steve Kempson and Dale Connerly. They ran a Prudential Financial Services office here. And so I said, okay, well, maybe I'll just work part-time and go work with those guys and then um, as a marketing assistant. And so 
they were so sweet and I gave it a good shot, but it was just, I had babies now and it was, you know, they were just little. And then believe it or not, funny story, we got little kids and we're playing baseball with my oldest, right? Best place in the world to meet people is on the baseball field with other parents, of course, on the golf course. I mean, all these social environments, but I met the best people playing football, basketball and baseball. And I met this lady named Chris Reagan and went to work for Vision Hospitality Group. Mitch Patel's company. Mitch Patel. And Mitch was probably just starting at that it point. It was. Let me tell you something. So I skipped a part because when we first came to Chattanooga with the transfer, we lived at the Homewood Suites on Shalliford Road for six weeks, right? My four or five-year-old was the mayor of Homewood Suites. It was great. <laughs> I was getting us settled while my husband was at work, you know, finding out where schools, we, we knew not a soul. It was, you know, that kind of come here. Let's like throw in a dart, you know, in, in life. But uh, so we come here, I'm getting us settled. Fast forward two years later. Well, Chris worked for Vision Hospitality Group. And next thing you know, we're talking and, and she says, come work for me. I've got the sales director position open. I'm like, I can't wait to do that. Because one of my common denominators is I love people yeah. and I love relationships and I love service. Right. And so this is great. And so I came to work with her. And that hotel, the Hilton Garden Inn on Chestnut Street, was Mitch's third hotel. So the Homewood Suites that I lived at for six weeks was his first hotel, right? The second property was the Ameris Suites in Nashville, which never really took off. It's a tough product in its Nashville airport area. So that was a tough one for him. And the third hotel was the Hilton Garden Inn amazing product it was a new product at the time and it was it was just like a really nice hotel but affordable mm -hmm. and it was too small to be big but too big to be small hotel too and, and in the perfect spot in the perfect spot they wanted us to ramp up to the competitive set in about six months we did it in three so the reason I, i'm going to sit on this one for a second is that hotel because it was so impressionable in my life it's that job that you have. The first job, you find out what you don't like to do. And then a couple of jobs later, you find out what you love to do. And so I found that passion for me, which is people and relationships. And I had some national accounts and local accounts, too, that I became friends with. Like we to this day, that's 20 years ago. So next thing you know, we opened the property. But the reason this place is so impressionable in my career is because of the best compliment I've ever gotten professionally is from Mitch Patel, who's now one of the top five developers in the country. He said, if it wasn't for the success of that property, that fourth hotel, there wasn't going to be a fifth. Yeah, He's one of the top five developers in the country. So that whole team that made that hotel successful should hang their hat, in oh, my yeah. opinion, on the fact that that was the moment. That was his crossroads. And so you see him building things like the Edwin and you know, I mean, those that know Mitch Patel know there's hotels for money, there's products for money, and then there's products for love. Yeah, that's his passion. It's an art, piece of art. Yeah. We've had Mitch on, and he's such a great story, and I can't imagine the influence on your career starting at huge. that young age with Mitch. Yeah, so now mentor number two. I could have hung it up after that, Mike. I was, I was so honored that he would make sure that I knew that, you know what I mean? And that's, and, and that's the kind of guy Mitch is. It's a true story. He is just a person that loves to empower you. You know, that's the thing with Mitch. He does not micromanage his properties. If you've ever found a person that puts the right people in the right jobs, it's him. 
just that first team that came together that built my feet print are in the parking lot of that Hilton garden. <laughs> it's a terrible thing though. I accidentally stepped where the wet concrete is, but now later in life, it's like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You've left your mark. Left my mark. And I, I enjoyed it so much, but hotels don't close. Yeah. Uh, they're open 24 seven, 365. It's a, it's a hard business. It's Hospitality a hard business. is very difficult. It's very difficult. And so, you know, I remember my husband saying, you know, Karen, nobody ever laid on their deathbed and said, gee, I wish I worked more hours. So, and so I left that um, and did some corporate event planning here locally for a company uh, of all things, a concrete company and uh, fiber and geosynthetic fabrics and um, found myself on the road quite a bit. So I went from um, and did some other side hustles for corporate event planning, started to really like that. There was something that was brewing with that because I loved um, I didn't love being on the road as much as I loved putting it together. Did I know anything about concrete or geosynthetic fiber? No, I didn't have to. But I knew how to move this herd of corporate folks. So I was doing national sales meetings, and it was a super enjoyable experience for me. I loved the people, and I loved bringing their like vision to life and their meeting to life. Yeah. But the hours are tough. The hours are tough, and then you're gone. You're not in town, and so you go from working a lot of hours to literally being gone. And then my babies were babies. I had one in diapers, you know, Oh um, geez. yeah, he That's was, hard. yeah, he was little. And then I was actually at a golf outing. I was in Orlando, Florida and chip calls me chip Baker, chip Baker, chip. This is, you're going to meet mentor number three in a second. <laughs> when I was in the hotel business, I housed the artists for Riverbend. That was my first interaction with them. We, we're supposed to open in June, ended up opening in October, October 1st, 2001. And so the next year was we were going to be open for the first, our first Riverbend. So I remember saying, I will take all of your weekday artists because during the summer, that part of town is weekend business. Closer to the river is weekend business. Further south is weekday business. So I'll take all your weekday artists and I'll give you an amazing rate. But on the weekends, I'm open. I'm not going to take any artists during the weekends because I want to you know, demand the higher rate. But yeah, that's how I first meet Riverbend. So then fast forward, I'm in Orlando, and, you know, putting together this golf tournament and Chip calls me. It's probably nine o'clock and he says, hey, I want to talk to you about coming to work for us. And I was like, I will be there on Monday. I didn't say that to him. I was like, well, you know, I'm in Orlando. I'll be back in town. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking I am screeching my wheels to get out of here. Was part of your attraction to something like Riverbend, the entertainment aspect, and your mom was an entertainer? And kind of, um, yes. Uh, because as a kid, I used to do stuff, you know, get a puppet and then come to class and say, I'm going to do a show. And they used to call me karaoke Karen. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you got to have talent. You know, that's kind of an important thing to be in entertainment. But um, a lot of folks that work in entertainment on the behind the scenes end wanted to be a part of entertainment, but didn't have maybe the talent. And so they did what they could to be parallel to mm -hmm. the entertainment industry. And for a couple of years before I came to work for the festival, I was actually helping the festival. I would do things like I'll go beer skybox host or something like that. And I was like, you're going to pay me to do that. That's cool. <laughs> And so I was doing that just when the festival would happen. And so, and I've kind of jumped around. I'm sorry. But that's kind of the point. A lot of people in their careers don't realize that just because you're at one point in your career, it doesn't tell the whole story. But all those points add up to it. They do. And I mean, I'm one of those people that I didn't know I would 
love these things, right? I didn't know this is where I wanted to be because right now I'm in my final destination. This is it. You know? That sounds ominous. I, I know. <laughs> I mean it in a plain. It does. It's my final destination. Um, I feel like I'm on the back nine of my career yeah. and I really just want the rest of my time to be something that's impactful to people. Yeah. And I want to make a difference. I want to do the work to see the work. And so I'm just very blessed. Um, that this is where I'm at because this is where I'll retire. This is where I, you know, I'm going to work hard to put some kind of fingerprint on this town. That's been so good to us, you know? And so in my time with friends of the festival, again, it was almost 17 years, yeah, almost entirely with Chip Baker, who's, you know, of course, County commissioner. Um, and so mentor number three, what'd you learn from Chip? Oh man, I, uh, so much. And I mean that really seriously. So, so much. I learned that, you got to be the example. Yeah. Um, you have to work hard and then other people will follow you. That's where the respect comes from because I was young. I was probably, you know, 20 years younger than everybody in my office. You know what I mean? So when I started out, I was 28 when I came to work at the festival. So if that makes your child, I did, I was a kid. Um, and so I had to like ramp up for myself because these folks had been, I mean, I worked with Dixie Fuller. Dixie toured with Alabama. Yeah. And here comes this kid, like, what do you know? And so it took a lot of proving myself, uh, working really long hours because I was going to show that I'm not just a hotelier, which is a pretty hard job. I'm not just a party planner, yeah. people like to say. You had to knock down those preconceived notions. Exactly. Yeah, I was here to work. And here we go again, I instantly loved the product and I felt very passionate for the festival. I wouldn't have been there as long as I was if I didn't 100% love it. I believed it was something very special for the community. I mean, I think that it was an economic impact. It gave people jobs. It just did so much for the community. It was a marketing tool for the community. It was a marketing tool for the community. I think we always strive to make it something that benefited others yeah. and not just ourselves. I mean, we were a nonprofit, but yeah, we wanted it to be a community event. And like Chip used to talk about it being like spokes on a wheel and just spreading out throughout the community. I used to try to get restaurants to do like drink specials named after our artists or, you know, we loved when people would set up like side hustles outside of our gates. Go for it. That's what it's all about. It's a community party, not well, just our party. And if I remember correctly, one of the things you guys did, and you were probably the impetus behind this, particularly for the downtown restaurants during the week, bring in artists in to play at lunch and that kind of thing. Yeah, we had, I think it was called Eat and Greet. I, yeah. I was not the person that started it, but it was a really, I think, actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Jeff Styles started that. Oh, yeah. I think he did. But uh, Eat and Greets were such a cool opportunity. What I did start with the festival was something called Riverbend Rewards. Oh, yeah. Um, and so Riverbend Rewards partnered businesses impacted by Riverbend. And just, you know, I came from the hotel business where I feel like that was my first break. And I knew how loyalty programs worked. What I did was partner these companies and said, you don't have to collect points. You don't have to download anything or whatever. You have this card. You show it. You get the thing. Um, and so I partnered these companies together and it ended up being a sponsorship opportunity for us, too. But it also marketing an affordable marketing tool for these mm -hmm. partners. And so, I mean, we were charging less than what. You could take an ad out. So in putting that together, just to kind of set the stage for it, not all of the downtown businesses were thrilled to have the streets closed. and not No, they weren't. Some loved it. Some didn't. Some just embraced it because it, it predated their restaurants. And they just said, well, this is what happens at this time. And they would build their business around that. But there were folks that were not 
thrilled that we would close the roads for as long as we did. And we all worked really hard to just close it just when we needed it, just when we had to have it to keep people safe as we built this, mm-hmm. this, this city, basically, because we were building an event that nothing was there and then something was there. Genuinely, I think everybody that worked at the company really worked hard to foster relationships with people in town so that we didn't didn't impact their business. Really tried to understand their business so that we could help support it during that time. Yeah. So yeah, that was it was tough. Every years were super difficult. We'd have our meetings on the front end and try to communicate and which I think helped a lot. I worked uh, one of the operations directors, Don Sharp, that I worked with, just a coolest guy. You I remember know? Don? You remember Don? I mean, he just was a relationship dude and um he really worked closely with people and tried to you know, let's not call this a problem. Let's call this a challenge right now. And then what's the solution to get through it? So I guess you could call him mentor number four because we worked super closely together and I liked his ability to troubleshoot. I am a troubleshooter too. Uh, I do like to find the solutions which get people happy. You know, if you follow my career, it's always been about ultimately somebody's happy, you know, whether it was a, a meeting I put together, a hotel stay, financial services job or, you know, whatever it was at the end of these situations, somebody benefited from it and and their way of life was enhanced. So that's always been really important to me, but I loved his uh, approach towards troubleshooting. Sounds like that common theme at Riverbend between Chip and Don is that positive attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Just a really positive attitude. Because I've known Chip a while and I have never met a more positive person who looks at every situation and says, gee, this could be fun. This could be fun. Oh, I know. Especially, in, you know, I have heard him say that yeah. in times of like like oh, yeah. catastrophic situations. Like, well, this will be fun. What? No. It's not. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And I do, I do love that. I mean, I guess if you were asking what one of my pet peeves is, I don't respond well to people that when they meet resistance, they stop. So frustrating. You know, you want people that are going to power through. And that's, I think that was one of our greatest strengths as a team that we all powered through some pretty significant. Well, and each year Riverbend was faced with enormous challenges and just starting with the weather. Just, you know, yeah. I, each day is a different thing. Yeah. Uh, usually it rained on us and then it was great during the week, but um, yeah, the weather was, it was hot. I mean, it was really hot, but I, you just loved it. You know, you plan so many months for this eight days that we had, you know, and it was just, you know, it, it was a lot of work and, and that's not all we did. Um, we were an event management company. We did air shows, uh, Blue Angel air shows. Riverfront nights. We did the PGA golf tournament for, we did that for a long time. Yeah. And that was, that experience was just a treasure. Well, what's your biggest takeaway from that experience at Friends of the Festival? Uh, my biggest takeaway from Friends of the Festival is probably my ability to project manage. And so that's probably the thing that I, um, my first few years with the festival, I was okay. I'm going to figure this out. I was, uh, the person that predated me just really didn't, I didn't have a baton pass. I started in April for a June festival. You didn't get a big binder and a sticky note that said, just tell me what's important. Sadly, no, (laughs) sadly, no. It was a lot of, I mean, I had files to go through and I had to, I had to figure out Quite a bit. And I was also this young kid. And so I just had to build relationships and I was blessed, but I was also, I knew it was You had to have a certain amount of drive too. Yeah. And so the turning point for me there was in 2005, 
um, I came on in 2005, April of 2005. August of 2005, we did the, the 22nd annual National Hog Rally, which is the Harley-Davidson Hog Rally. It's the national one. It's a big deal. Steve Genovese, um, who worked for the um, tours. Yep. Great guy. I loved Steve. You talk about a positive attitude. So he brings this thing to town. It's going to make a bunch of money for Hamilton County. And so we brought the barge back. It was an, the equivalent to close in size to Riverbend. They wanted pretty much adequate vendors and helped them with entertainment and all these things. And then it ended up being the second largest rally behind the one in Wisconsin, which is where they're headquartered. Mm-hmm. Out of. So August 31st, I'm coming back, gone home to let my dog out and got into a pretty bad accident. Mm. I was in a rollover got ejected from my vehicle on the ridge cut and so i broke my neck i was i never knew this Uh, it was pretty devastating and again i just come to work for the company that april and so here we are just in august we had just finished this event the police officers and the ems folks had just worked with me on the event we were on and so they recognized me because i had what we call gig car which is Everything I still had a pack of like Harley Davidson flag tape, which is sprung all over fourth, you know, the exit right before Fourth Avenue. Red right where my wreck mm-hmm. was, and so that's how they went. I think we know her because my face was completely covered in blood. I had mm. split my head wide open, and like I said, broke my neck and had a lot of um, damages, a lot of broken bones, and so yeah, it was pretty bad. But so Chip, I was at home for a month, just absolutely embraced me, took care of me, made sure that I was taken care of, you know, paid me that entire time. And frankly, not a lot of companies will do that. Not a lot. I mean, I wasn't even there a year. And so the fact that he did that, I was like, okay, I now, you know, I don't even know if he knows this, but you get that feeling of obligation. Yeah. You have a loyalty. There was loyalty that happened the first time right then, not just loyalty to Chip, but also loyalty to the company because the company took care of me and, and my family and just made sure that we were, you know, paid and, you know, still pay the bills because there are some bills, I'm sure, after all of that. And so about a month of recovery, I couldn't drive because I still had this neck brace on. And Barbara Agee, who is probably one of the most big hearted people, you know, just Sweet the person. salt of the earth, genuine person. And so she lived out in Nudewatch. So she would pick me up because I wanted to get out of I was in this straight jacket neck brace and I wanted to get out of my house because I'm not a person that's sedentary. And so she would come and take me to work and then I would get really tired about halfway through the day because I was medicated and she would start to tell me, you're getting tired. It's time to go. She's watching out for you. She was. And so she watched out for all of us. Yeah. So after a major accident, yes, you have a loyalty to Riverbend and you have a loyalty to Chip, but what does that do for you as a person and looking at life? It can change everything. You know, that's one of those pivotal moments where you're like, I have kids that could have lost their mom. You know, I have a husband that almost lost his wife. So it does. I was already a person that was passionate about work and life, but I think it made me a little bit more passionate about things. And I've always thrown myself into 100 percent this thing that we're doing. If we're doing it. We're going to do it, you know. And so I think that that can change you just in that way. I think it, um, what's the word? Enhanced doesn't seem like enough. I mean, it just, it's like it fuels, you know, it fueled me to do more. And and I'm already doing it, but I want to do more. I want to be more. I want to offer more. I have a lot to give. And so when you're in that situation where you're like, you could be gone, I'm not done yet. 
are you saying to yourself, you know, I really haven't scratched the surface. I haven't given it a hundred percent, even though you exactly. work, but in your mind, you're thinking there's so much more. There's so much more. I haven't touched enough people yet. Chattanooga is such Hamilton County. This is the best place to live. You know, this is the place where you can literally touch. There's only 400,000 people in the Hamilton yeah. County area. You can literally know all of them. And so, you know, in your travels, you come back. I feel like anyone that lives here as you travel, bring something back to but yeah, it was it was very life changing. Um, so 2020 happens, and I'm going to just fast forward a yep. little bit. COVID happens, and COVID happens, and our entire industry decapitated. Yep. Like 800,000 people lost their job in well, music and entertainment. Event companies lost 98 percent of their revenue. Yeah, I mean, just overnight. And so we tried to manage through it. We weren't sure what was going to happen, and realized that we were going to have to cancel the festival. This is probably about March. We all kind of went to work from home and did that thing that you're supposed to do to social distance. And then so fast forward, we did we ended up doing like nine concerts that year, which is probably more than anybody in Tennessee. I mean, we really powered through. And so we did a couple at the stadium in partnership with uh, Rich Mazingo. And then we did some shows out at Tennessee River Park for what we call Chattanooga Night, the concert series. And so did the best we could to keep everybody employed um, our board was really adamant about trying to just help us get through the hump. Let's get through this thing. We'll extend it however we can. And then the PPB money was super helpful. And then, but it ran out. And so there was this layoff. The entire company was laid off except myself and the executive director, Mickey McCain. And so he's still there. Uh, but anyway, so there was a lot of guilt being the sole survivor. And that's something not a lot of people talk about when they're the survivors of a layoff. It's because it's horrible. It's yeah. you don't want to. These people were smart and worked really hard. And because of COVID ruined everything, these people deserve to have a job and deserve to continue with this great job they were doing for this impactful thing for the community. And you're telling me COVID took that out and it did. And it was devastating. And so these people deserve more um it was a really hard time. It was like a, the dark ages, a dark time for us. And so, yeah. So you, you didn't stay at Riverbend. You, was that when you went to the county? No. Um, so there was one more stop after the layoffs happened. That was November 21. and February 21, Dave Holscher, just an amazing individual with the Tivoli Theater Foundation. 25 plus years of history and management and in that administration of theaters. And he is a cool guy. I wish I had gotten to work with him longer because I feel like he would have been like mentor number, what was on five? Yeah, that would be five. Five. Um, <laughs> but I think in, in the, my time working with him, I did have some influence from him. So I just adore him. And of course, Nick Wilkinson yeah. there too. But in February, Dave tapped me on the shoulder and said, you want to come work with us at the Tivoli Theater Foundation? And I'm like, well, yeah, I do. But everyone was just laid off. If I leave after that, again, that obligation, what kind of person am I? And so I politely said, if you have this open in the future, I would love to look at it. But right now, I got to fulfill whatever obligations I have to help this company. That's been just so good to me. Mm -hmm. And so that was tough. I bet. And so I ended up staying on. Riverbend was going to happen in October of 21. And then until it didn't, circumstances happened to where we couldn't put on the show. And that's when I let Mickey know, I think I'm going to go ahead and accept this position with the Tivoli Theater Foundation. So I, that was September that I ended up coming over of 21 because Riverbend wasn't, that was going to be my last Riverbend, I guess. But I was at the Theater Foundation for about a year and a half and love it. 
when the Tivoli opens back up after this renovation, that will be a showpiece for the Southeast. That will be something that I think when people are introducing themselves in their town from when they're out of town, they're going to always mention in the top three, this Tivoli theater here. Um, but I remembered I like to be outside. You know, being in theater is a really cool community. Probably some of the hardest workers, you know, just these folks that it's constantly cranking out. I think we did like 125 shows in that time there, but just it takes everybody. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Then I've got a couple more questions after that. So I, um, next thing you know, I watched a new mayor get elected and then I saw some new county commissioners. So I said, this is either going to be the time of innovation or it's going to be the time of the same old stuff. And then it was innovation immediately. You know, Jeff Eversoles and some and Porsche mm-hmm. Chip and all these folks and David Sharp and all these people, really cool county commissioner team. And then working with this mayor and they've had their challenges, but they've really worked together. So I saw an opportunity. So I reached out to the county and said, what do you guys have going on over there? I did not know that a week before the lady that was in my job had resigned would have no way of knowing that. And so um, I immediately said, sign me up. I know there's a process. You got to talk to other people, but I'm your guy. Um, I really fought for it. And it's been the best decision I could have made at this stage of my career. It sounds like it goes back to that confidence you had at a young age in your career to just take the initiative and make that phone call. Yeah. You know, to find out. A lot of people don't do that. Well, I want them to. Because if there's a job that you want, dreams don't have to be dreams. They can be reality. You just have to stay after it. Be present. Be available. Be a resource. It's like my time transitioning from the hotels to later come work for the festival. I was a go-to for them. And then what happened was when they had a need, they went, what about that girl? You were a vendor for friends of the festival who did a great job for them. And they said, God, if she does this as a vendor, imagine as an employee. It's almost like being a net. You know, you just got to buzz around, you know, just be in their peripheral. And I got to tell you, when I took this job, the overwhelming response that I got, you know, once it was announced, it just made me feel so honored and blessed. But also it made me feel like, okay, maybe this was like people I respect were saying this is where you're supposed to be. It's perfect for you. Well, you got a heck of a journey and it sounds like you're in a spot now that you could really fly even higher. I hope so. Well, I have no doubt. I do want to ask you one more question. Sure. What would you tell your 25-year-old self is important for a happy life? Oh, yeah. Um, I would probably tell that 25-year-old, stay at it. Don't give up. Hug your kids more. Hug your hubby more. Say thank you more to your husband and your family, not just your customers. Appreciate your family as much as you appreciate your customers and the people that you do business with. I know that sounds weird to say. I don't think that sounds weird to say. I mean, particularly you went through a a traumatic life event with that accident where those things get put in perspective a heck of a lot more than someone like myself who hadn't had to face that. You're not wrong. You know, when you see your husband, my husband's the only thing I would eat was fresh fruit. He was cutting up fresh fruit for me before he would leave for work. And then he would check on me constantly throughout the day. But Um, It does change everything. But again, I would probably tell my 25-year-old self to really appreciate your family as much as you appreciate your business. Just really focus on the balance because I worked a lot. I worked a lot because I had to. I remember my dad saying to me, my dad was full of 
the most amazing one-liners, but I remember him saying, you know, I don't care if you ever work at Burger King, but you're going to be the best Burger King employee they ever had, you know? And so that's part of that, that drive that was, I'm going to be the best at it. I make mistakes. That's another thing that makes you the best at stuff is to make every mistake. And he used to ask that question a lot and you better have an answer. What'd you learn from it? When you're in your darkest moment and you feel like the world's against you, you've not um, hit the mark and you're a competitive person and you've got to hit the mark and you don't hit it, you know, having dad say things like, what'd you learn from it? And having an answer is really important. You should have an answer for that for yourself. It's great advice. Yeah. This was great. This is a lot of fun. I love it. I could do this all day. (laughs) You do. Good thing you're in this business. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.